Hey, parents and little adventurers. Ever wondered where hot dogs come from? Dive into a world of wonder with the new children's book about cellular agriculture. Cellular agriculture? What's that? It's the science behind tomorrow's foods. Discover the journey of a family barbecue in a way that's fun, educational, and downright tasty. Grab your copy of Where Do Hot Dogs Come From? on Amazon today. Yum! The future sounds so delicious. Curious for more? Visit www.hotdog.fyi. Happy reading! Thanks for joining us on the Cultured Meat and Future Food Podcast. This show is intended for anyone interested in cultured meat and future food technologies. Most people learn about podcasts from their friends. So please, share the link with any friends or colleagues that you think might find this interesting. We're excited to have Isha Dattar as the guest for today's episode. Thanks for joining us on the Cultured Meat and Future Food Podcast. We're excited to have Isha Dattar as the guest for today's episode. Isha Dattar has been pioneering the field of cellular agriculture since 2009, when she began a deep dive investigation into the technical challenges and opportunities involving producing cultured meat. In 2010, Isha published Possibilities for In Vitro Meat Production System in the Food Science Journal, Innovative Food Science and Emerging Technologies. She quickly discovered that cellular agriculture research was not held back by lack of interest or expertise, but instead by lack of designated funding channels directed at this intersectional work. Isha became executive director at New Harvest in January 2013. She co-founded Move Free, Making Milk Without Cows, in April 2014, and Clara Foods, Making Eggs Without Chickens, in November of 2014. Isha has a Bachelor's of Science in Cell and Molecular Biology from the University of Alberta and a Master's in Biotechnology from the University of Toronto. Isha, I'd like to welcome you to the Cultured Meat and Future Food Podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Alex. Isha, you have been in many ways leading the field of cellular agriculture since 2009. How did you first get started in cellular agriculture and what kinds of cell ag products have you experienced? <laughs> well. Alex, back in 2009, there was no cellular agriculture. There was just the concept of growing meat from cell cultures, which at the time was still referred to as in vitro meat. And it was actually only in 2015 that I coined the term cellular agriculture to encompass the entire field of producing agriculture products from cell cultures, not just meat, not just animal products, but any kind of agricultural product from a plant or an animal from cell cultures. In 2009, if you Googled cellular agriculture, you probably would come up with like photos of farmers in fields with their cell phones. So back in 2009, I was exposed to the idea of cultured meat. And back then we still called it in vitro meat. I became exposed to the field and to the concept of producing food from cell cultures by my professor. He was a meat science, specifically a poultry science professor at the University of Alberta named Dr. Mirko Betty. And while I was a student in cell and molecular biology, I decided to walk across campus and take a meat science class at the Department of Agriculture. And there wasn't really any reason behind me doing that class other than I just thought it was amazing and I would love to hear more about meat science and understand it. So when I was taking this class, the first thing was in the, in the introductory 
classes of the course, I learned about just how impactful the livestock industry is. I just didn't realize how much land water was required by livestock production. I also didn't realize how much of an effect it had on climate change and the outbreaks and on epidemic viruses and antibiotic resistance. And to me, it just seemed like such a problematic system, not only because it was so resource intensive, but also because it was so prone to risk. When I think about our climate change future, I, I really worry about livestock farming because animals are, you know, animals need to be maintained at very specific temperatures in order for them to be producing meat, milk and eggs effectively. And when we think about a world where the temperature is increasing, while that means they're not going to be producing foods as effectively, but even further, when we think of a world where the climate is just chaotic, we might be dealing with storms that can wipe out herds of animals. We might be dealing with the outbreak of diseases in areas where those diseases weren't a problem before. And livestock is just really susceptible to all the changes that are coming up in our environment. So where am I going with this? Well, where I'm going is... A few classes later, my professor introduced us to the idea of in vitro meat or growing meat from the cell up. And I was just blown away because I had never thought of that before. And not only I hadn't thought about it before, I also thought it was just so obvious. How could I, a cell biologist in that class, not have thought that, oh, yeah, well, meat is just muscle tissue and, you know, a few other tissues. It's not really that simple exactly. But it's something that we could essentially grow from the basic unit of life, which is the cell, rather than from whole organisms. So this light bulb kind of went off where I thought, not only is this obvious, it's going to happen. At the same time, you know, the GMO debate was kind of popping up and I was kind of concerned, not, not really with food technology, but the way that food technology was being handled in the world. And to me, it just seemed so just and right that everyone in the world would be able to understand where their food comes from and how it's made. And yes, it may be very complicated, but we should have the right to know how it happens. And so my interest in cellular agriculture and at the time in vitro meat was not just, hey, this is a way to bypass a lot of the issues with the livestock industry. It's also a way to bypass a lot of the issues with the industry side of things. You know, we have an opportunity to create a whole new technology. That means we also have a, an opportunity to create a whole new industry surrounding that technology. So in summary, <laughs> I just thought that this is such a transformative concept in so many different ways. And I just had to be part of it because I wanted the world of cellular agriculture to be a lot different from the food industry that we're familiar with today. You asked me what the cellular agriculture products that I've tried before are. This is very exciting. I think the first thing I ever tried was uh, cell cultured milk. Actually, it was a really, really prototype that we were working on with Perfect Day, formerly known as Mufri, in Ireland, where we mixed together some milk proteins. And I have to say, it wasn't the most amazing thing, but that was like version 0.001. That was great. And it's been really cool to see the progress of Perfect Day over the years because they've moved very quickly. I also got to taste Modern Meadows steak chip. They produced cultured meat. It was very thin. I guess like their leather product, that makes sense. It was very thin, but it had this incredible mouthfeel that was just like a potato chip. And so that really, you know, expanded my concept of what meat could be if it was grown in cell cultures. It could be crunchy, and I'd never had crunchy meat in the same way before. And then I've also been able to feel the leathers that Modern Meadow has produced, which are also 
mind blowing because when I had viewed these leathers, you know, I had this conception of what leather could be. And when I saw Modern Meadows leathers, I saw that now we're able to control how many layers thick that leather is, how many cell layers are stacked up on one another. And so we actually have the capability to grow, you know, leather that we're familiar with, which is maybe like 15 cell layers thick, but we're also able to grow these translucent leathers, which I haven't ever seen before, which are maybe two or three or, or less cell layers thick and have these kind of performative functional qualities that you just can't fathom unless you're growing leather in a cell culture. Please tell us a little bit about New Harvest and the organization's overall mission and goals. New Harvest is a 501c3 organization, which is a nonprofit organization in the United States. And our goals are to advance open, public, collaborative research in cellular agriculture. What New Harvest is trying to do with our activities is fund the pre-competitive research that is going to be extremely necessary for this field going forward. My frame of reference for cellular agriculture is from pharma. I, I had a little bit of experience working in public policy in pharmaceutical companies. And what I've noticed from there is that the trajectory for, for biotechnology starts with a lot of extremely expensive discovery stage research. And once that discovery stage research becomes promising, which is later on, and also there's a lot of false starts and there's a lot of things that don't work. So once that research becomes interesting, it gets picked up by companies and translated out of the lab and it turns into the products that actually go on to change the world in the market. What I'm noticing with cellular agriculture right now is we're seeing a lot of interest in companies. We're seeing a lot of the industry pop up, but we kind of still have some holes when it comes to this discovery stage research. And so what New Harvest aims to do is fill that preliminary research gap where we're asking the questions that are a little bit too broad for any company to ask in-house, but can eventually elevate the entire field. Companies like Perfect Day are replacing the need for cows to create milk. Companies like Claire Foods are replacing the need for chickens to produce eggs. Aside from cultured meat startups out there, what are some of the other companies that are making progress to really take animals out of the equation to create a product? The cellular agriculture landscape is super exciting right now because I think we've started to broaden our idea of what cellular agriculture could be applied to. When I first joined New Harvest five years ago, when we were talking about cultured meat, we were only talking about meat. And it was only after, you know, Perfect Day happened and Clara Foods happened that I realized that cellular agriculture was not entirely just about cultured meat. And actually, if we wanted to change the way that animals are used in the food system, and in fact, remove them from the food system, we needed to actually think about every single animal product that was made through factory farming. I've just been so blown away at how much this landscape has exploded over the past five years. I think the companies that are most furthest along are the ones that are focused in the biomaterials space. So companies like Bolt Threads and Spiber and Amsilk, which are focused on producing silk from cell cultures. We have Modern Meadow producing leather. We also have companies working on fish products, uh, Wild Type, which just came out very recently. There's another company called Finless Foods. And then there's, of course, the obvious cultured meat companies that I'm super excited about, Moza Meats, Memphis Meats, Super Meat. There's a lot of people in the landscape, and I think that it's really important that we actually have a well-rounded portfolio of cellular agriculture products, because the reality is because of the nature of how some of these products are produced, a lot of them are going to come out earlier than others. And I think a steady stream of cell ag products coming out over time is going to lead to greater industry success 
and make for an industry that's really going to stick around and, and be resilient and last for a really long time and, and therefore transform the way that we make animal products. What is the main benefit of cellular agriculture that drives you? And also, what kind of diet do you usually eat? Like, do you eat meat? And if you don't, would you try cultured meat if you haven't already? What motivates me the most about cellular agriculture is the fact that I think it's inevitable. Because it's inevitable, I think it's also an opportunity to create a whole new food system. And so part of my reasoning for getting involved with cultured meat is that I wanted this to be a food system that's better than the one that we're, we're working with today. And a food system is not just about products. It's, just, it's not just about removing animals from factory farms. It's also about producing food ethically, producing food openly, allowing people to understand where their food comes from, and really thinking about the entire supply chain so that it, it makes sense. I think when we move into a more populated world, the world becomes smaller and it becomes much more tangible. And we start thinking about externalized costs and the entire world and how it is affected by our food system. So we need to be introducing new systems that actually consider all of these externalities and consider how to best feed the world. I am, like most people on earth, a guilty meat eater. I don't have any dietary restrictions very aware of where my food comes from. I would just love to see products that were essentially guilt-free because I knew that I could sign on to everything that was coming along with that product and sign on to everything that led to that product being on my plate. When producing cellular agriculture products, how much harder is it to create the egg versus the chicken or even milk versus steak? And what are the challenges when creating different types of products? That's a great question, Alex, because I think it's sometimes hard to convey how it's so different to produce proteins versus tissues. And so when we're thinking about eggs and milk, those are essentially a combination of proteins that come from animals, but don't contain any full cellular materials. So the production of protein is actually relatively simple than the production of tissue. And we also have a lot of knowledge about how to produce proteins at industrial scales because we already do it in the food world and also in the pharma world. And a lot of our expertise in the recent past comes from things like biofuel production. And while biofuels aren't really protein focused necessarily, I think the large scale industrial fermentation is definitely applicable to the production of milk and egg proteins and also flavors, fragrances and other animal derived and non-animal derived, even plant derived protein. The technology around that is essentially modifying cells to produce the proteins that you care about and then producing that at incredibly large scales. It's helpful to think about those huge breweries that you'll see in rural areas. That's the kind of scale we're talking about when we think about producing milk for the world using cell culture. The reason why I think that that field is a lot further along is because we already have quite a number of experts at producing protein at large scale. And so for the companies that are popping up in this area, there's a pretty clear talent pool to to hire from. And there's also a, a lot of academic research in this space already to build off of. The kind of more cellular focused products are, of course, the meat and fish and leather production. Well, leather actually is a little bit of a tricky one that can fall into both categories, but definitely the meat and fish production. And that's where we need to produce whole cells 
at very least, and then preferably whole tissues. What's different about this is that the field of tissue engineering, which focuses on producing cell cultures and tissue cultures in vitro, is itself quite new. And I'm just talking about new on the science timeline, which means a decade, a couple decades at most. The number of experts in the field of tissue engineering is still pretty limited. And we're not really dealing with an industry that has a lot of experts because tissue engineering is so new, there are not as many companies focused in it, and there's a, not as big of a talent pool in the tissue engineering space right now. Further to that, a lot of the tissue engineering that exists in the world is very medical focused. And so we're talking about very small scales, and we're talking about tissues that need to have a real purpose in the human body. And so when we compare that to cultured meat, well, we don't really care about having the muscle cell functional and sterile and able to be essentially implanted. We need those muscle cells to be delicious, inexpensive, and sustainable. And so the pressures around growing muscle cells for cellular agriculture versus growing muscle cells for tissue engineering for medical purposes is just radically different. And so I think one of the stumbling blocks for cultured meat in general is just a very limited talent pool. And then beyond that, because there's a limited talent pool, there's a limited amount of pre-competitive research focused on how to produce muscle cells for food. And that is, of course, the thesis of New Harvest work. New Harvest is currently supporting researchers at different universities. What are some of the exciting projects that your researchers are working on and what may come as a result of their research and findings? I am so excited about all of the research that our researchers are working on. And it's going to be really hard for me to pick some of the things that are the most exciting out of the lot because they're doing a lot of things. One that really stands out to me is the work that Santiago Campuzano is working on at the University of Ottawa in the Andrew Pelling Lab. And he is working on plant-based scaffolds that are vegetables. They're not just made of plants, they actually are plants. And he's removing the cells from these plants and replacing the plant cells with muscle tissue from animals, effectively growing meat on vegetables, which I just think is such an inspiring idea, really, because when when we think of cultured meat normally, we're just thinking of the meat that we are familiar with and how to produce that from the cell up rather than from the animal down. And while that is in itself extremely exciting, I think what's even more exciting beyond that is the idea that, that because we're producing meat in a completely new way, we can have completely new products that we could have never fathomed before. I often bring up this example, you know, before we had fermentation, we only had one milk, you know, milk had one format, it was white liquid. But after fermentation and the introduction of all these different types of microorganisms and cell cultures, we were able to have how many different dozens, if not hundreds of types of cheese, how many different types of yogurts, how many different types of fermented dairy products with all completely unpredictable flavors and textures and mouthfeels and culinary experiences. So when I think about the introduction of cellular agriculture to meat production, I think of, yes, there's the possibility that we can produce things like hamburgers and hot dogs, but even more exciting than that, we can produce things like celery sticks with the chicken cells already grown onto them. And so Santiago's work, I think, is kind of a predecessor for that type of stuff. Other work that I'm very excited about is the work by uh, Jess Krieger, who is at Kent State University and Dr. Minho Kim's lab. She is working on actually so many different projects, but one I'm most excited about is a bioreactor project where she is trying to develop a tissue engineering bioreactor that could be used for cultured meat research, something that 
after it is designed could be rebuilt and sent to many different labs so that they could advance tissue culture research for cultured meat on their own. So there's just an enormous enabling technology in what she's building, which I just think is so important for the field, especially the field of research. Let's get a tad bit technical. There are companies out there that are creating animal products, uh, such as foie gras or even leather. What are the major technical differences in cultivating leather versus meat? I'm glad you circled back to leather because, as I mentioned earlier, it's kind of a complex product because you could be producing it through the cell culture means for cultured meat production, but you could also be producing it through these kind of acellular means like the protein production that I mentioned. So leather is interesting for many reasons. And I think the the most practical reason is that it is not subject to the type of regulatory oversight that a food product would be. And because it is a material, you already just have this freedom where you can explore how to produce this product without having it adhere to these definitions of the product that we're already familiar with. And so, yes, we know that leather classically is made from the skin tissue of animals. But when we're producing a replacement for that, all we need to do is create a product that can essentially replace that skin tissue from animals and be as functional, if not more functional than what we're familiar with. So what that means is that we can be growing different types of cells. And leather is typically fibroblasts that have secreted collagen. And that is what create these dense networks that are so strong and allow for leather to be so flexible and thick and strong. And we can produce those cells relatively easily because fibroblasts are just really easy to grow. A lot of tissue culture experts will say that fibroblasts are like the weeds of tissue culture. And so inherently, there's a little bit of an easy factor, (laughs) relatively easy factor in growing fibroblasts compared to muscle cells for meat. But you also have this flexibility where you can tune what those fibroblasts are doing. You could potentially add other cell cultures and other types of ingredients to that fibroblast culture in order to create a leather that has all these different types of properties. With meat, you're just inherently a little bit more limited because you're trying to put a a product on the market. And that means that you have to adhere to some standards that are sensible for foods that are going to be consumed by human beings. And even further than that, which is a question maybe down the road, is how do you create a a meat product that, that will actually receive regulatory approval. And that's something that's probably a whole nother conversation. What do you currently see as the biggest blocker within the industry? What do we need to overcome today that will really shoot us into the future when it comes to these technologies? I think the thing that is preventing cellular agriculture from advancing much faster is the fact that we have a really limited talent pool right now. In the world, there isn't a ton of research on growing muscle cells for food. And because of that, there aren't a ton of researchers who have focused their lives on growing muscle cells for food. And I think that once that we can kind of increase that research population, we've just inherently advanced the entire field and also created you know, the CTOs and the co-founders and the very important people to push forward the IP and the technology in cellular agriculture. And, you know, there's a few things that make growing the talent pool difficult. One is that a lot of the people with tissue engineering experience are focused on medical applications. So they're just inherently not thinking about how to make their cell cultures grow really fast, be really delicious and be 
totally sustainable with a sustainable supply chain. The second thing is the people who have this tissue engineering experience are not really working with cells that matter for cultured meat. They're working with cells that are relevant for medicine. So that may be human cells, that may be Chinese hamster ovary cells, that may be canine kidney cells. Last I checked, no one eats Chinese hamster ovaries or canine kidneys. So we need to be thinking about the expertise surrounding specific cell types that really matter for cellular agriculture. And then on the other side of that is the, the people who I think come to mind first when you think of people who would be cellular agriculturalists are people in the food science world. But what I've found is a lot of food science labs don't have a ton of experience in tissue culture capabilities. And so what we are working with is a world where cellular agriculture just falls between disciplines that don't often talk to one another. And we need to create ways that we can get those two disciplines up beside one another and actually overlapping with one another, exchanging a lot of ideas, a lot of protocols, a lot of expertise in order to create the people who have the ability to grow animal cells in particular that are going to be really delicious and being able to grow them at huge scales. What can we expect to see from New Harvest in the near future, and what's really the best way for the general public to get involved? I feel like we have such an enormous pipeline right now. I can't answer this question without mentioning our conference that's coming up. I'm so excited about it. It's going to be at the MIT Media Lab. It's July 20th and 21st of 2018 at the MIT Media Lab. It's going to feature a lot of speakers from within the cell ag industry, but we actually really try to bring a lot of people from outside the industry because I think what contributes to the resilience of this field is growing it and growing it with people, very specific expertise that can take the field further. Other things that we have in the pipeline are research-oriented. The work that our researchers are working on encompass all kinds of things across cells, scaffolds, bioreactors. One thing that's on the top of my mind is how that how we can advance the serum-free media research. It's just kind of a, a complex thing to address, not only because the actual science is complicated, but how do we create the appropriate incentives to move that research forward? That's something that I'm thinking about. The best way to keep on top of what New Harvest is up to is by signing up for our newsletter. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and of course, we send our donors a special update every month, and that's given to any donor who donates any amount in the past year. And that's just a great look at what's going on in our labs. You can get in touch with Isha on Twitter at Isha Datar or by visiting New Harvest websites at new-harvest.org, where you can also get information about the upcoming conference. Isha, do you have any last insights for our listeners? I guess I'd like to close the interview with I guess some reflections. I think I've been in the field for the past five years and I've seen it grow from <laughs> me being maybe the only full-time person, lots of part-time people, lots of people really passionate about the field, but, you know, really small and really limited. And even New Harvest, was, you know, it was not always obvious that we were going to, to make it every year to an enormous field with a lot of potential, gaining a lot of external attention from people that, maybe didn't necessarily care about changing the way that animal products are made. And I think that buy-in from all kinds of investors, journalists, entrepreneurs, companies, in a way they've, they've just 
bought into something that is not just cool because of its world-changing potential, but because they actually believe it is possible. And in the early days, you know, it was sometimes I thought to myself, am I crazy? Am I a crazy person that thinks it is actually possible to grow food from cells? And it's it's just so cool that a lot of people are as crazy <laughs> as I am right now. And we're essentially able to build not only the real technology and I'm able to actually taste things that are made from cell cultures, which is just so enormously rewarding, but we're able to build a environment of people who are passionate about this. There's a, this Carl Sagan quote that I really love, which is, if you want to build an apple pie from scratch, you must first create the universe. And I feel like that's kind of New Harvest approach is, yes, we want cultured meat, to exist, but first we have to build the universe that was going to create cultured meat. And I think that we've done a really good job in the past five years in creating that universe. It is just so vibrant, so full of so many different people, so many different ideas, and so many new, exciting technologies. Isha, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your story on the Cultured Meat and Future Food podcast. This is your host, Alex, and we look forward to being with you on our next episode.